We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 655 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. Of course, you can always find my writing at Packer Report. Have a fun episode for you today. Uh, we've had a, an opportunity to kind of break down the draft, some of the free agent signings, and kind of where the Packers are at uh, right now with the offseason. But I haven't had a chance to really go through a roster prediction, and it's probably way too early and a little bit ridiculous to put together some sort of roster prediction as we approach uh, May 11th uh, with a you know questionable offseason ahead and not exactly sure when and the, the season is going to start and if there's going to be fans and all those random questions that are out there. And heck, even if those questions were not out there, uh, you know, probably doing a 53-man roster prediction uh, on May 11th is probably a little bit aggressive anyway, but I figured we could have some fun with it, especially now that we know uh, the main Packers free agents that they brought in, the Packers draft class, the undrafted free agent class. I think we kind of have an idea of where this team is going to stand. Might they add one or two more veterans? Maybe they bring back somebody like a Tremont Williams or someone like that. Uh, I think there's absolutely maybe a couple more of those moves still in the 
the cards, but I think we know a, a, ma- a major portion of what this roster is going to look like as we head into 2020 and the 2020 regular season. So I thought that would be fun today. And some of you may already be asking, wait, a 53-man roster prediction? Isn't it supposed to be a 55-man roster prediction with the new rules and the new CBA? Um, so we'll start off with that a little bit. And, and many of you may already know kind of the logistics of it, but it's still a core 53-man roster. And then they increase the practice squad sizes from 10 players to 12 players. And you can actually have two players from your practice squad that you designate kind of like a a major league baseball call up, if you will, where you call them up to the active roster and then you can send them back down protected without having to uh, put them on waivers and so on and so forth. So they opened up a little bit of flexibility in that regards um, and made that kind of a a soft 55-man roster, if you will. But the core roster, your your opening day roster, if you will, is still going to be that 53. They're still going to have the cut down to 53 players and then having to, you know, put people on the practice squad and then kind of call them up from there. So that's still kind of uh, a base 53, which is why I'll do a 53-man roster prediction today. I will do a 12-man practice squad uh, prediction as well, because, you know, why the heck not? Um, It's it's May 11th and we've still got about four months until football and uh, we have some time to fill to say the least here at the pod, you know, at the podcast. So uh, let's do it. Let's do a full prediction, regular roster, as well as practice squad. I'll kind of highlight some of the players um, that got cut in this prediction uh, as well. So we'll kind of go through it step by step and uh, you can kind of get my thought process along the way as well. So let's jump right in. Uh, let's go kind of position by position and uh, we'll kind of get through it uh, by going through it that way. Let's start with quarterback, and uh, you know a couple players are you know absolutely going to be locks here in both Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. I think those uh, are pretty safe to say, and I think it's it's fairly safe to say that Jalen Morton is probably not going to be an active uh, member of the Packers. You know he could always surprise. You know Tim Boyle surprised and made it as a 53 man, uh, you know participant in his rookie season as an undrafted guy, kind of out of nowhere, and you never truly know. But I think just kind of where the depth chart is right now would be pretty shocking to see Jalen Morton secure a 53-man roster spot. So that leaves Tim Boyle as kind of the main question mark here is, is does he make the roster? Could he actually be the backup? Um, is there some sort of trade? Does he get cut out right? And I think that's kind of one of the interesting scenarios to talk through at the quarterback position. I do believe that when you spend the 26th overall pick on Jordan Love, I don't think you can make him the third string quarterback. I just think the optics on that are really, really bad. Um, You just spent, uh, you just moved up in the first round to get the 26th overall pick. You drafted Jordan Love when you still have, you know, four years left of Aaron Rodgers' contract. And now you're going to make Tim Boyle the backup quarterback and you're going to put Jordan Love as the number three. Even if Tim Boyle were to beat him out fair and square in the preseason, should that happen? I'm not saying that would happen, but should that happen? I think just from a purely political standpoint, from a pure optics standpoint, Jordan Love has to be your backup quarterback as you go into the season. And frankly, even if Tim Boyle were were the better quarterback, it's probably much more valuable to get Jordan Love those snaps should something happen to Aaron Rodgers and you kind of live and die with what happens this season. And it's again, overall from a long-term franchise standpoint, if Rodgers is to go down for even a game, two games, or if, you know, hopefully not, but if it's an extended period, you're best off probably getting Jordan Love those snaps and, you know, kind of kicking off his development a little bit, if you will. So it's really tough to imagine a scenario in 
which Tim Boyle is the backup quarterback just because Jordan Love was a first round draft choice. They moved up to get him. He kind of has to be the backup. So with that in mind, in this uh, in this prediction, I put only the two quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love on the roster. And I do think Tim Boyle will have some trade value. And this isn't just me being a, a Tim Boyle truther or a, a, you know a homer here. Uh, you know, Bob McGinn in his articles, you know, following up on the draft, actually in two separate articles, he spoke about Tim Boyle. In one article, he quote said, several scouts spoke highly of Boyle's potential in late December. That was in one article. And then in another article, he he wrote, and I quote, considerable praise from within the NFC North personnel departments as a player with upside. Again, that was quotes in regards to Tim Boyle uh, from, you know, various sources around the league. And, you know, say what you will about McGinn. And just personally, I've had great interactions with Bob McGinn, um, you know, personally, but I know there's some, you know, questionable thoughts out there, but he he is very connected from a sources standpoint and some, you know, player personnel, some scouting, uh, some in front offices, those type of things. So the connections are there. And based off of those connections, again, one said uh, he spoke highly of Boyle's potential in late December, or several scouts spoke highly of Boyle's potential in late December, and then that there was considerable praise from within the NFC North personnel department. So that would lead me to believe that Tim Boyle has some trade value. Now, am I talking like a third or fourth round pick something? You know, no, I'm, I don't think that's the case. I think it could be if he has a good preseason, assuming the preseason happens. I think it could be as high as a fifth. Maybe if if he really just balls out in preseason, maybe it could get up to a fourth or something, you know, like that. But I think a fifth round pick would seem about right if Deshaun Kaiser went for a seventh. And I know Kaiser had kind of the the higher draft choice and some pedigree and and some tools to work with there. But I definitely think even if you go back to to preseason last year, I think Boyle was legitimately the better quarterback. And again, I. I think if Kaiser went for a seventh, I think Boyle should at least go for a seventh round pick. And I think it could be closer to a sixth or a fifth round pick. Now, would it surprise me if they didn't get a trade offer, especially should he struggle in preseason? No, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and maybe if they don't get a trade offer, maybe he's more valuable to them uh, than just cutting him loose outright and letting some team claim him and, and getting nothing in return, especially after a couple of years of really solid development. Um, I, I think that that would be the case. I think if they didn't get any takers on him, I think they probably would find a way just to kind of keep him on the roster, make him the number three quarterback, um, just because I think he has that sort of value. But I do think if they start getting a fifth or sixth round uh, trade for Tim Boyle, which I think they would based on those comments from scouts and just based off of what I've seen on film and in practices and things like that. I think the Packers would jump on it, um, knowing that, you know, again, Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love are probably going to be their top two quarterbacks for the next couple of years. Um, I think they would take back that trade capital and it would just kind of free up more snaps for Jordan Love on the second team. Um, and then I, I think, and we'll get to this in a moment, I think Jalen Morton makes a really nice practice squad player um, who would be able to run some really unique scout team stuff. And I'm sure Jordan Love would do some of that as well. But um, I, I just think that that would mean, uh, make a more, you know, make more sense for the fit at the quarterback position if you're giving the majority of your snaps to Rodgers and Love. I just don't think the snaps would be there for Tim Boyle. So trading him would make a ton of sense. And I think that would come uh, late in training camp, assuming both Love and Rodgers make it out of you know camp and preseason healthy. Let's jump over to running back. Um, I have four running backs making it. Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams, and Tyler Irvin. 
I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are, are fairly safe to say they are locks. I also think Jamal Williams is very likely. I just think from a pass protection standpoint, unless A.J. Dillon really shows out from day one, um, I, I just think Jamal Williams has so much value in that regards. Um, and then Tyler Irvin, I just think as you know, their primary kick returner, they don't really have that player on the roster uh, besides Tyler Irvin. Uh, I just don't think uh, you know they are going to keep anyone else, at least that's currently on the roster, that has the ability to be a breakout returner uh, like Tyler Irvin uh, was this last season. So I think he makes it in that regards. I also think they found some gadget plays. They found some ways to use him as a wide receiver. I think he can be used as a running back. So I, I think he makes it as that kind of special teams and gadget player in Matt LaFleur offense. And I just think there's enough value there to keep him as the number four running back. Um, That really leaves kind of Dexter Williams as kind of the odd man out there. I don't think that should be too surprising. You know, he's a really nice running back, but I just don't think anything ever really clicked for him a season ago. There were only a couple instances in which Matt LaFleur got really angry at practice. And I know for sure one of them was due to Dexter Williams. uh, And he was very, very vocally upset with Dexter Williams. And uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, those things kind of carried over into the regular season or that they don't still believe in him as a player. But I just think with the the selection of A.J. Dillon, uh, it kind of puts the writing on the wall a little bit. And unless he has a really nice training camp in preseason, I think he could find himself being the odd man out. And I know there was a lot of positive talk uh, about Dexter Williams kind of coming out of the draft last year, but let's not forget he was a sixth round draft choice. And, uh, you know, those guys are are disposable and they're not guaranteed anything. And I just, again, I'm not sure that everything really clicked. I'm not sure that he ever really, um, even though it was kind of expected that he was going to fit really well in in Matt LaFleur's system, it just didn't seem that that he ever really caught on uh, to what they were trying to do from a running standpoint. So I think he has a really big off season ahead of him and we'll see if he's able to kind of overcome that and, and somehow make the roster. And the last thing I'll say about the running backs is this. If Dexter Williams does show out and he does really look the part, um, or even uh, you know Patrick Taylor, the running back out of Memphis, if either of those guys look really, really good, I don't think it's out of the question that Jamal Williams could find himself uh, as the odd person out. And I think that could be maybe another trade scenario where if maybe they can pick up a sixth or seventh round pick, um, kind of like they've done with Trevor Davis and Deshaun Kaiser. I just think, uh, you know, they've been pretty creative in trying to find trades for those kind of fringe roster players. And it wouldn't shock me, again, if Irvin and Dylan and Jones and one of those other running backs really show that they, you know, had the ability to carry the load and they could move on from Jamal Williams. He does have a $2 million contract. So even though he's on the last year of his rookie deal, he's played enough snaps snaps that his his contract actually increased for the fourth season above $2 million. And I don't think he's going to be back. I don't think he's going to be in their plans in 2021. So remembering that kind of running backs are a little bit of a dime a dozen, that Jamal Williams isn't a playmaking player. And the fact that they would still have Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Tyler Irvin, and potentially either, you know, Patrick Taylor or Dexter Williams, I think they feel comfortable with that group as is. And if they could get a sixth or seventh round pick for Jamal Williams, save over a million dollars in the process. Process, that would not shock me. Now, I expect him to be on the team. I would put it far more likely than not, but I think he's still an interesting player to keep an eye on um, if, if all of a sudden some of the other running backs do start playing really, really well. Let's jump to wide receiver, and I think this is going to definitely be one that's of interest, but I didn't find it too hard to kind of narrow this down. I mean, Devontae, uh, Alan Lazard, Devin Funches, 
are for sure locks to make the team. And then Equinemius St. Brown and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you got to think are still really insanely likely to make the roster based on where they're at right now. And then I think the only question is who's kind of that number six kind of developmental wide receiver. And I put Reggie Bagleton on the list right now, and I do think he has the ability to kind of be that guy. And it's really tough to project going from CFL to to the NFL and exactly how that's going to look and if he's going to be able to make the transition. Um, you know, Reggie was obviously kind enough to come in and chat with me on the podcast. He certainly seems like he has the right demeanor and the positive mindset. Um, plus, he obviously gets the good Packaday podcast juju for coming on. So, uh, you know, of course, he's going to make the roster after that. But in all seriousness, I do think that there's a strong argument to be made that he's the the sixth best receiver on the roster. You know, Jay Kumro, you could make an argument here too. I just think this league is very much about upside and, uh, you know, the potential to be a breakout player. And we know now that Jay Kumro is kind of who he is. There, there was kind of this question the last couple, you know, seasons based off of what he did in preseason of, okay, are things starting to click for Jay Kumro? Could this be like a legitimate number two, number three wide receiver? His routes were looking a little crisper and you remember some of those big plays he was making in preseason. But truthfully, it just never really carried over into the regular season to be, you know, to, to show that he was any, you know, sort of consistent playmaker. You know, that being said, he's a really good run blocking receiver. And, you know, ideally he's a really nice number five or six, you know, wide receiver. That's kind of what he is. You know, he's, he's solid on special teams. He's a really good run blocker. You know, he's a solid route runner. He's never going to be spectacular, but if you need him in a pinch, you know, I think he has the trust of Aaron Rodgers. So he, it wouldn't shock me if he somehow found his way on the roster again, but I just think they've kind of seen what they have uh, in him. And I don't think that there's enough there to say, Hey, we got to keep him on the roster. And if a player like Reggie Begleton or a Malik Taylor, um, if, if one of those type of players really shows out and shows that they're capable of, uh, you know, potentially being more than a, a number three receiver, maybe being somebody who could be a playmaker down the road, I think they'll give the nod to that sort of player. So I penciled Reggie Begleton as, as the number six. I also think it's possible that they could go with five wide receivers. I mean, let's be real. Outside of Adams, Lazard, Funches, St. Brown, and MBS, you don't need a sixth guy in that room. You still have five guys who we know are capable of playing, you know, plenty of snaps in the NFL. You can rotate amongst those guys. You know, it sounds like Matt LaFleur wants to go more to, you know, wide receiver sets with maybe some three wides mixed in. This isn't going to be a team that's running a ton of four and five wides. So they've got five guys who have started in this league or at least shown the ability to start in this league. And I, I don't think that they necessarily have to have a number six. So that's the question here. Um, when I was actually just kind of piecing the last pieces of this together, I was going back and forth on if they would actually keep a sixth receiver. But I do think there's enough value in Begleton that he ends up making the team. Um, and, and I think he was, the again, worthy of that number six spot uh, for this prediction. All right, let's move to tight end. I think this is probably the easiest one at the moment. I've got four tight ends and it would be surprising if none of them made the roster and it would kind of be surprising if anyone else did make the roster. And that's Sternberger, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan, and Josiah Deguera. Sternberger's making it, Deguera's making it. And you can put Deguera at tight end, H back, whatever you want to pull, you know, put him at. He's not a true, just pure fullback. He's not that type of player. He's, he's more talented than that. So I, I put him in, and kind of slotted him in at tight end here. Because of that, because Deguera is kind of that mismatch type of piece, the H-back, the fullback, the tight end, I still think they're going to keep three true tight ends on the roster. And again, you know, Lewis and Sternberger, it's really tough, you know, seeing them not on the team. 
Robert Tanyan, could you maybe make an argument that, you know, if he doesn't show up in, in camp in preseason, that he could be a, a camp casualty? Um, yeah, I think you could make that argument, but I still think he's kind of a younger player who they're going to give another opportunity to. And, and I don't see anyone else at tight end on the roster right now that would have the ability to beat him out uh, from a pure talent standpoint. So I think that position is probably the easiest to predict. All right, let's move to offensive line. A few of these are easy, but I think this is a really interesting group to discuss. I'm going to go, first of all, with the eight that I think are really easy to keep, and that's David Bakhtiari, Rick Wagner, Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, Corey Lindsley, and Lucas Patrick. I do think uh, those six are, are kind of the, the locked, set in stone ones. I also think Jake Hansen and John Runyon, the, the two rookies, the six rounders, are going to be really solid bets to make the team as well. Um, I think Simon Stepaniak is going to start on the pup list. He had a late season ACL injury a season ago, um, and I, I think he's probably likely to start on the pup, and it could even maybe go longer than that. Uh, but I think he'll probably start on the pup list as the season starts. I don't think he's going to be ready for camp. Um, I'm certainly not a doctor, and I don't want to you know predict anything in that regards. But just for the the case of this scenario, I'm going to put him on the pup list. Um, and, and again, I'm going to keep the other two rookies and then Wagner, Patrick, Lindsley, Jenkins, and Bakhtiari. There's also one additional spot that I'm going to keep on here. And I think that spot's going to either go to Lane Taylor or potentially a Jared Valdir. And you could make the argument that they could just stick with Lane Taylor as the, you know, kind of interior player. Um, should something happen to one of the offensive tackles, you could always kick, uh, you know, Billy Turner out to right tackle. You do have John Runyon who, you know, could play left tackle and right tackle in a pinch. But I, I think you could make a really strong argument that the scariest aspect of the Packers roster right now is depth at offensive tackle. And, you know, we have seen Lane Taylor uh, play some left tackle in a pinch. So if he stays on the roster, you could make, you know, an argument that if, if Bakhtiari goes down for a couple weeks, that Lane Taylor could fill in there. That if Rick Wagner goes down for a couple weeks, that, that uh, you know, Billy Turner could fill, fit in there. I think the argument for a long time was that, you know, the drop off from Brian Bulaga to to Billy Turner at right tackle was just too massive. Well, the drop off from Rick Wagner to Billy Turner probably isn't quite as massive. Let's just be real. So, you know, I think they could maybe stomach that. And then you've got a a player in John Runyon who, you know, maybe he, you know, the, the player that I compared him to coming out was Mark Tauscher. And the fact that, you know, it's not always body beautiful. It's not always super sexy the way that he plays. It's not always, te- you know, the most technically sound in the world, but he's a guy that just kind of is there and gets the job done. And, you know, if he can show that he has the ability to do that at left tackle or right tackle, maybe you could get by without signing to Jared Valdir. On the flip side, you know, I think you could probably get Jared Valdir for a very similar contract of what you would be paying Lane Taylor this year. So, you know, for my money, even if Valdir is only good for, you know, four to six games, the fact that he has left tackle and right tackle versatility, the fact that he showed he could play in big moments a season ago, the fact that he knows the offense, there's a lot of value there. And I know that if he goes down for any extended period, you know, there's the, there's the thoughts out there that Valdir can't play for a full season. Uh, Pete Doherty, uh, I was on the Cheesehead TV uh, draft uh, special that Aaron Nagler put together and Pete Doherty came on and, and he had spoken, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but he'd spoke to someone that, you know, thought that, you know, it's unlikely that uh, Valdir would be able to play a full season, that it's probably more of like a, you know, he could, you know, fit, you know, fit in for four or five, maybe 
maybe six games here or there, just his, his body is too broken down. But even if that's the case, even if he can only fit in for those handful, five, six, maybe seven or eight games um, at most, I still think there's a lot of value in that because he can play left tackle and right tackle at a high level when he's in there. So that's where I would lean. I would go Valdir as that last offensive lineman. It could be Lane Taylor, uh, maybe one of the younger guys like an Alex Light or a Yash Nijman show out as well. Uh, but for this uh, for this scenario, I'm going to go Bakhtiari, Rick Wagner, John Runyon, Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, Lucas Patrick, Corey Lindsley, Jake Hansen, and then uh, Jared Valdir as the, the the last and final piece of that offensive line. Five defensive linemen on my list. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Kingsley Kiki, Tyler Lancaster, and Trayvon Hester. I do think Trayvon Hester uh, basically takes Montrevious Adams' spot on the roster, and I think you'll see Kingsley Kiki move up on the depth chart to be the number three guy behind Clark and Lowry, uh, moving ahead of Lancaster, Adams, and then still being ahead of Trayvon Hester as well. So I think, you know, Clark and Lowry will be kind of your main two. Kiki will be the the third guy and, and, you know, potentially get some more uh, pass rushing snaps as well. I think Lancaster will play some obvious running downs. I think they need to bring down his snap count a bit. I think, you know, a couple years ago when he was a rookie, when you saw him play maybe 10 to 12 snaps per game, I think you saw him hold up well and he could play the run well. I think last year when he started to get to those 20 plus snaps a game, it didn't go so well. So I think you need to limit him a little bit more. And then I think Trayvon Hester will be part of that rotation as well. Edge rusher, uh, Zadaria Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Tipa Galea, and Jonathan Garvin. Uh, Tipa Galea, the first undrafted free agent on my list. Um, and then Jonathan Garvin, the rookie as well. I just think uh, if you look at Tipa's tape, you definitely see some upside, some flash, some potential. Um, he had some off the field issues. If he didn't, he probably would have been a drafted player. And Jonathan Garvin, to me, was one of the steals getting him in the seventh round. It may need to be a little bit of a redshirt season for Jonathan Garvin. Um, but if, if you know, Tipa Galea can actually come in and show that he's capable of, uh, you know, Plain from from you know the get go, which I think is not out of the realm of possibility. You know the Packers don't need a ton of snaps. You know outside of Preston, Zedarius, and Rashawn Gary, um, unless one of those guys were to get hurt. And I think with that being the case, um, I think they can kind of go with two more unproven players um, who, you know, even in a, a scenario where, you know, maybe one of those guys has to play, you know, five to eight snaps per game, you know, just to kind of give, you know, Gary and Smith and Smith a breather here or there. I think those guys are capable of that, especially in a pass rushing situation. You know, you probably don't want to put them out there setting the edge quite yet, but I think certainly Garvin would be capable of doing that. Um, but I think if you give those guys five to eight snaps per game as, as a pure pass rusher, you know, maybe they can make something uh, happen with those snaps. So I think that's a good spot to be in. I think you get two developmental players and then, you know, you know, Zadarius and Preston are going to be the guys. And then Rashawn Gary is going to get any of those fill-in snaps, um, especially now that Kyler Fackrell is gone. Inside linebacker, I went with four players, Christian Kirksey, Kamal Martin, Oren Burks, and Ty Summers. Christian Kirksky's going to be your 1A. I think Kamal Martin and Oren Burks will be used uh, a little bit interchangeably. I think you could see Oren Burks be played a little bit more um, against, you know, heavier passing teams, teams like the Saints. Um, I think you could see Kamal Martin go against more, you know, heavy rushing teams like a team like the Titans. Um, I I think you could kind of see those kind of each fill in that number two linebacker role based upon who they're playing week by week. And then I think you'll see Ty Summers be kind of one of the the core special teams players on the Packers roster as well. So uh, those were the four interior linebackers. I went with six cornerbacks, Jair, Kevin King, Chandon Sullivan, Josh Jackson, Kadar Holloman, and then Stanford Samuels. 
And I think that sixth cornerback spot is going to be one that's really competitive. I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility that they could bring back a player like Tremont Williams uh, to kind of fill that role. My guess would be if they have any sort of injury whatsoever, whether it's to Holloman, Jackson, Sullivan, King, or Alexander, and if Tremont Williams was still out there, I think they would immediately sign him to a contract. And I think the longer that Tremont is out there for the Packers, the better. It just gives them more insurance that they can kind of pick up at any time should one of those guys get hurt. But I think that sixth spot could be, you know, interesting. I really liked KB Anento uh, at practice a season ago. He was making the transition from wide receiver to cornerback. I think he could be in that discussion. I also think Will Sunderland's another undrafted free agent uh, that could make some noise at that position as well. Um, so I'll pencil Stanford Samuels in there for now, uh, but kind of keep an eye on especially KB Anento and Will Sunderland at that position um, as kind of time goes on and, and see if maybe those guys can make some noise there. But I think this team's going to be pretty set with their top five, uh, being Alexander King, Sullivan, Jackson, and Hallman. And then I think they'll give one more guy uh, a chance to potentially make an impact there. Uh, We'll see. At safety, um, also kept five players. uh, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Raven Green, Will Redmond, and Vernon Scott. I think both Raven Green and Vernon Scott are going to have some of that flexibility to pitch in at inside linebacker, or at least at minimum, some of that box safety, kind of hybrid safety linebacker type of position. Um, and I, I think if you see Raven Green kind of focus on that position, which wouldn't shock me, um, then I think you know keeping five here could make some sense, uh, giving them a little bit more depth and flexibility at the position. Um, I do think Will Redmond made his name on special teams a season ago. And I think when you kind of consider that it was his first season uh, playing at safety, I thought he held up okay. He had he definitely had some ups and downs. And when he was in there, he was definitely a player that could be targeted a little bit. But I do think he showed enough potential that they would want to keep him around as a potential number four, number five safety. And again, one of the core special teams players on the team. And I, I don't think Vernon Scott gets it gets talked about quite a bit. It reminds me a little bit of a Morgan Burnett type of player when you kind of see him on tape. Um, has some of that versatility to go up in the box. Um, has some ability to play some true safety. I, you know, I don't think that it's a, a, a lock that he makes the roster, being you know where they select him by any stretch, but. Um, I definitely think that he kind of fits with what Mike Pettin wants to do. And uh, again, you know, they didn't, um, you know, they didn't really have an answer once Raven Green went down at that uh, position a season ago. It just, everything kind of went out of, um, out of script, I would say is probably the best way to put it uh, once Raven Green went down. And I think there's a chance that Vernon Scott could fill in adequately in that role should something happen to Raven Green again. So they get a younger version of that and and somebody who hopefully is able to stay a little bit more healthy than what Raven's been able to. Um, But I could see both of those guys sticking on the roster because of their versatility between those two positions. And I also think uh, besides Will Redmond, I think Raven Green and Vernon Scott could both also be really core players on special teams. Specialists, no surprises. Mason Crosby, J.K. Scott, and Hunter Bradley, none of them currently have any competition on the roster. Um, as I mentioned, pup list, Simon Stepaniak would be the one that I think has a really good chance to, to potentially open the season on the pup list. Um, I put 12 players on the practice squad Henry Black, Mark Antoine DeCoy, uh, Kabian Ento, Zach Johnson, John LeGlue, Cody Conway, Jalen Morton. Daryl Stewart, Will Sunderland, Malik Taylor, Patrick Taylor, and Greg Roberts. Um, I would be shocked if they probably didn't take at least one player from another team's, uh, you know, roster after cutdowns. You know, considering they have twelve players that they can kind of put on this, but um, it, you know, I think they actually have the players to fill it if they wanted to. Um, some names again that I think are worth keeping an eye on here: KB Nento, Will Sunderland, Patrick Taylor. 
and something just tells me that they they like something about Malik Taylor as well. Um, even Daryl Stewart, the undrafted free agent, uh, I think is worth keeping an eye on. But those were the 12 I put on the practice squad. And then kind of some players that I left off the roster. Montrevious Adams, uh, I think if you look at Montrevious, actually, I'm going to talk about two players here simultaneously, uh, Montrevious Adams and Alex Light. I think when you talk about uh, the NFL and, and kind of how the NFL evaluates players, a lot of times you have value until you prove that you don't have value anymore. And I think this last season, I'll start with Montrevious Adams. The, I think a big reason that they felt comfortable cutting uh, you know, Mike Daniels before the season is because they really believe that Montrevious Adams was going to make a jump. Mike Patton talked about it um, you know, before the season started, that he thought that Montrevious Adams was ready to take a major jump. When I talked to Kenny Clark here on the Packaday podcast, I asked him one player, and this was before training camp, um, so this is you know, at least somewhat noteworthy, but you know, who was ready to break out last season? Kenny Clark specifically mentioned Montrevious Adams. I think the Packers were really expecting him to, to make that next step, and he didn't. And I think there's there's going to be some thought that he kind of let them down a season ago. Unless he and unless he has a major bounce back, I think you're going to see Montrevious Adams playing foot, uh, playing football elsewhere in 2020, and I don't think they're going to bring him back. I think they kind of proved the opposite. Not only was he not um, up to the task, I think you know I think they're going to feel like they gave him his opportunity in the NFL. He showed that he wasn't ready for it, and unless he bounces back, I think they're again going to move forward with him. And the same kind of goes for Alex Light as well. You know, they really redshirted him in 2018, um, you know, Mike McCarthy's last season, he got a couple snaps, you know, towards the end of the season, uh, when the the season was basically over, well, it was over at that point. Um, he got some snaps at right guard, um, actually looked pretty decent. And then they really kind of groomed him. You go back and I even had a chance to talk to David Bakhtiari about this a little bit, but you look at it, you know, Bakhtiari and the offensive line coaches were spending a lot of time with Alex Light in training camp last year. I think they saw something. I saw something as well. I I really liked his college tape. I thought he looked good in the limited snaps in 2018. And they kind of gave him that opportunity to be that that swing tackle a season ago. And they, they really kind of groomed him for that. And I think ideally, and maybe this is a little crazy to say as an undrafted guy, I don't think it's out of the question that they were potentially grooming him to be the the starting right tackle if things went well a season ago. And let's just say things did not go well for Alex Light a season ago. And I think in a way, again, he kind of proved that he wasn't ready for the big stage and that he wasn't ready for an NFL roster. And again, barring him having a major bounce back season, I think he could be a player that's on the outs as well, especially when Green Bay went out and drafted you know, three offensive linemen in the sixth round. We'll see if Stepaniak will be ready for the season or not, but um, I think the writing is potentially on the wall for Alex Light. Other noteworthy players that I didn't have making it, uh, Curtis Bolton, that inside linebacker, Jake Kumaro at wide receiver, uh, Cole Madison on the offensive line, Dexter Williams, Yash Nijman, and again, Lane Taylor. I'm um, going back to that decision between Lane Ta- Taylor and Jared Valdir. So those were kind of uh, the, the major decisions that I kind of had to go through as I was trying to put the 53-man roster together. I think if you look at it on paper, it's it's a solid roster. I think there's certainly still question marks. I think Green Bay lacks 
a solid playmaker at wide receiver behind Devontae Adams. I think they're going to need somebody to step up there. And whether it's EQ or MVS, maybe Funchess, um, you know, I think we know for the most part what Alan Lazard is, but, you know, he showed some playmaking. I guess what I'm looking for is more playmaking after the catch. And I think that's a question that needs to be answered. I think that depth along the offensive tackle position. Now, again, in my scenario, if they go out and get Jared Valdir, that certainly answers that question. But as the roster stands right now, I think that that still stands as a major question for the Packers, especially left tackle. You know, with no Jared Valdir, if, you know, if David Bakhtiari goes down for any period of time, you know, listen, I, I mentioned this earlier that Billy Turner could maybe kick the tackle and fill in for right, you know, Rick Wagner at right tackle. Uh, even that is a stretch. Even Billy Turner struggled at right guard. You know, if you struggle at right guard, the, the, the next step should not be, hey, let's kick him out to right tackle. You know, th- there's there's a major problem there um, if he has to start significant games at right tackle. And at left tackle, Billy Turner to me should not be an option at all. You know, as I mentioned, could Lane Taylor fill in there for a couple weeks? Sure. Is John Runyon up to the task? Maybe, but that's a that's a major ask of John Runyon as well. So that to me remains a major question for this roster. You know, defensive line, I just think again, and I've said this, and I'm sorry, you're hearing it probably for the thousandth time for me, but the depth behind Kenny Clark just isn't enough right now. I don't think Snacks Harrison is on the radar. I'm sorry. I just, I definitely don't think he's on the radar at the moment. Um, I think they'd still look for ways to maybe get a, a run stuffing defensive lineman in there if, if an opportunity presented itself. But I just go back to if Kenny Clark goes out for any extended period of time, you know, do you really feel comfortable that Dean Lowry and Kingsley Kiki and Tyler Lancaster and Trayvon Hester can hold down the fort when you got run all over by San Francisco and the Chargers and the Eagles a season ago with Kenny Clark in there? So that that's a major concern that I have still as the defensive line. You know, everywhere else, I think they're okay. I still think there's some questions at the, the, the cornerback position, you know, just how well and how consistent can Kevin King play? Was Shannon Sullivan a one-year wonder? Is Josh Jackson ready to take a step? Is Kadar Hallman ready to take a, snap, a step? Can can Jair Alexander play more at a Pro Bowl and All Pro level? You know he's a really good cornerback. He's a number one cornerback, but we've seen flashes of him. You know potentially being an All Pro or Pro Bowl caliber corner, but it hasn't been consistent either. So I think there's some questions there. I also think you can make some argument that there's some questions behind Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. You know, if either of those guys get hurt, are you comfortable with Raven Green or Will Redmond playing significant playing time? So, uh, you know, all all teams have a couple of these questions right now. And Green Bay's in a really nice spot where they have some high-end players. They've got Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Jair Alexander, um, you know, even you could argue probably Adrian Amos as well, you know, consistent, you know, kicker and Mason Crosby. There's a lot to work with there. And they've got good depth at some important positions as well, especially if Jordan Love can show that he could potentially play at quarterback. Um, there's, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot to like about this roster. There's still some question marks, you know, Brian Gutekunst always talks about this being a 365 day a year process of trying to improve the roster. And I think he still has, you know, like I said, four months to go before the regular season starts. And I think he needs to find ways to still potentially fill in a couple of those spots and try to be creative. But I think if you look at that 53 man roster with the practice squad, there's some good, you know, there's good depth, there's good talent, they've got high end players. And now it's just kind of getting everything to come together the way that Mike Patton wants his defense to, the way that Matt LaFleur wants his offense to look in this second season. 
That does it for me today. Make sure to check back tomorrow. I hope you're all staying healthy and safe. A huge, huge, huge shout out to the nurses, doctors, medical professionals, and essential personnel who are out there risking your lives every single day. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. I appreciate it so incredibly much, and uh, hopefully we can get through this sooner rather than later because I know how just awful that this must be for all of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. On that note, I will leave you as always with a massive Go Pack Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.